As a medical professional, you're probably consumed by your work. Because of that, you likely miss out on big opportunities to protect and grow the wealth you work so hard for. Luckily, through passive real estate investing, you can place your capital in the hands of trusted syndicators who do all the legwork while you sit back and let your money work for you. Syndicators like Ascent Equity Group. Ascent Equity Group is led by three medical professionals turned full-time real estate investors who have secured a quarter of a billion dollars in assets in just three years. And their latest opportunity, Sunrise and Chandler, is open now. Sunrise and Chandler is an exciting 177-unit value-add multifamily opportunity in the affluent city of Chandler, Arizona. This Class B asset in a Class A location was secured at a significant discount and is already cash flowing out of the gate, with 89% of the units still in need of renovation. Sunrise and Chandler is close to meeting its capital raising goal and will be closing soon. So if you'd like to learn more, visit ascentequitygroup.com forward slash best deal to schedule a call. That's A-S-C-E-N-T equitygroup.com slash best deal. This opportunity is open to accredited investors only. Don't chase money. I don't care if the deal looks fantastic. If you don't trust a person or something in your gut tells you something doesn't seem right about them or the deal, then don't do it. Best ever listeners, you ready to take your online advertising into the big leagues? Are you ready to get more leads? Well, how about we do all this for free? Yeah, sure, free. Well, it starts out with a free strategy session with Dan Barrett. You recognize his name, episode 565, titled Google AdWords and Cutting Edge Strategies. He's the only certified Google partner agency that works exclusively with real estate investors. That's why I'm talking about him. And he's managed over a million dollars of client spend and scored an 80th percentile for or higher for best practice. Basically, he knows his stuff. And... He is offering a free strategy session for one hour to do a deep dive with you and learn about your market and collaboratively come up with an online advertising strategy based on your target audience. And he's offering to do this for the best ever listeners. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Now I mentioned free. Well, the strategy session is free and then you can either take the online advertising strategy that he comes up with on the call and go implement it yourself. There you go. It's free. Or you can have him and his agency do it for you. It's a turnkey solution. And by the way, that likely wound up being free too, assuming that you're closing on the leads that he's generating for you as a result of all the efforts. Go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. He's got some amazing stuff. Ask him about the pre-targeting for direct mail lists that he does. It's something unique to their company, and it's pretty exciting stuff. He's noticing some tremendous results as a result of doing pre-targeting. So ask him about that. AdWordsNerds.com forward slash Joe. Best ever listeners, welcome to the best real estate investing advice ever show. I'm Joe Fairless. This is the world's longest running daily real estate investing podcast podcast. We've only talked about the best advice ever. We don't get into any fluff with us today. Mark Kenny. How you doing, Mark? I'm good. How are you, Joe? I'm doing well and nice to have you on the show. A little bit about Mark. He is the co-founder of Think Multifamily, and he is a full-time real estate investor. He purchased his first rental property at the age of 22 and now owns 1,750 units. He's got over 20 years of experience in real estate investing and education prior to real estate. He was a CPA 
an IT consultant based in Allen, Texas. With that being said, Mark, you want to give the best ever listeners a little bit more about your background and your focus? First of all, I'd appreciate you having me on podcast here, Joe, and hello to the best ever listeners. The background, I kind of grew up where we didn't have a lot growing up and kind of always had a mindset for entrepreneurship and started buying properties when I was 22, but kind of smaller ones. And then I unfortunately got caught up in corporate world, making some pretty good money and traveling a lot. So kind of got a real estate a little bit from a perspective of buying new assets. And in 2008, I started my own IT company, did well with that, had some pretty big customers like T-Mobile, Marathon Oil, Lockheed Martin. So that was going well. But I had two kids and a wife, and I didn't have enough passive income coming in if I was to die. So I figured I need to start looking for other avenues to get higher level of passive income. And that's when I made a decision about three years ago to start buying larger multifamily assets. So about two years ago is when I stopped doing IT consulting and became a full-time real estate investor. Okay. What was the first purchase two years ago into the multifamily arena? It was a 64 unit in Mesquite, Texas. How'd you fund it? We syndicated where we had a group of people that we brought together and brought money together to purchase it. And that's kind of what we've been doing on our subsequent deals. Before, it was pretty much my brother and myself and my sister buying one, two, three, four unit deals. But when we got larger, we actually put money together from other investors and bought the larger properties. And we closed on one in January of this year, which was a four-unit deal in Atlanta. Okay, cool. So you've got 1,750 units that your company controls with some ownership in along with other investors, correct? That's correct. So we've syndicated a little over 1,000 of those. The other 750 are more passive investments. Okay, so 750 are properties that you own outright with no other investors? Yeah, the other way. No, sorry. Basically, we pass invest in some deals ourselves, so we're not oh. having a day-to-day. And then we syndicated about six deals on our own. But of those deals we've syndicated, we have other investors investing with us. Okay, got it. So of the 1,750 units, you are passively investing in 750 of those, so you're a passive investor in deals. And then about 1,000 of the 1,750 you have syndicated, so you're an active investor. You're on the general partnership side. Is that right? That's correct. Okay, cool. Now I understand the lay of the land. This is interesting. Let's talk about, oh, are you still passively investing in deals? We do. So I do a SEP IRA every year. So every year I'll invest in a deal. And what do you look for when you invest in a deal passively? And is it multifamily that you're investing in? Primarily multifamily. We've invested in two hotels, but probably not going to be doing that going forward. So mostly multifamily. And the first thing I look for really is the operator. Probably before I used to be more concerned with the projected returns and kind of what the sponsor or lead thought they could do. Now I'm actually I have a lot of people that I know quite well that syndicate deals and have developed some relationships with them. I trust them. So I look to them first and foremost, and then look at the deals secondary. And both are critical, but you can have a very good deal with a bad operator and the deal can still be bad. Mm -hmm. We look at the market, job growth, population growth, easy to evict, kind of your standard type attributes. Is the city making an investment? So we're heavily in Atlanta right now. A lot of city 
investment dollars going in there, and there's also a lot of development dollars going in there, which is a good combination. I know you grew up in Flint. I'm not sure when you, but I grew up in Owasso. Probably know where Owasso is mm-hmm. if you grew up in Flint. Yep. Yeah, okay. So I was just up in Michigan about a week and a half ago, and there's a lot of activity going up there, and I've been telling people for years you can probably make a lot of money up in Michigan right now, but I'm not one of the people going to be investing up there. I just don't. I don't think the fundamentals are there. So you can make money, but there's no population growth or job growth or mm-hmm. things like that. So we'll look at all the key indicators, but the operator is critical. Why no hotels? What happened on those two deals? <laughs> One's doing quite well. The other one was actually a good property. It was out of state, but the people operating it, the leads or sponsors of that deal, were about experience and had gone through and kind of a business plan where they were going to put in a third-party operator, and they didn't do that. And the deal kind of went south pretty much to the point where it wasn't recoverable. So I don't necessarily have a, anything against hotels, but my personal perspective is there's a lot more to running a hotel than there is multifamily properties. So if I'm not going to be involved in the running of the day-to-day at a hotel, I probably wouldn't be involved. There's a lot of cash that gets paid and a lot easier to, in my opinion, fraud, theft, things like that, which is something that actually happened at one of our hotels that we were passively invested in. I'm curious, as a passive investor, how did you become aware that people were skimming off the top or whatever they were doing? Passively, I wouldn't have probably known but the guy that was working there actually went to jail. So it was uh, the lead <laughs> actually informed us that he actually went to jail for like six months. And then the story gets better without getting too many details. Even after that, then they hired a convicted felon to work the front desk that was convicted of money laundering. So <laughs> yeah, not a great situation. So I'm not saying people can't make a lot of money in hotels, but I'm a little tainted right now. <laughs> Oh, man. I'm not looking for you to call out anyone, but I am looking for the lesson here. So I do need to ask a follow-up question. How did you get in touch with this group? And again, I'm not looking for you to call out a particular group. I'm just wondering the lesson here. So how did you initially get introduced to this group? They were part of another multifamily group that they were having an issue finding multifamily. So they went off and got trained by a so-called guru in hotels and gotten into a deal. And the deal itself was good, just that they had done some fairly silly things that resulted in a bad situation for all the investors, unfortunately. Mm. But that goes back to the point around the operators are key. Yeah, just tying that scenario up, how do you approach your conversations with operators who have opportunities, knowing what you know now when you screen operators? One, I wouldn't invest with anyone. This was really their first hotel deal, and they had a mentor that was supposed to work with them side by side, and that didn't happen. So I personally would never invest in somebody's first deal unless they have a strong partner that's part of the deal and has skin in the game as well, both from a time perspective and a financial perspective. So I would make sure that any deal has someone that's strong, that's done it before, has been through some issues. Everything is not always hunky-dory things do happen. And then we just ask questions more around the prior experiences. And this was just one of those situations where I don't say we were misled, but someone were probably misled on what reality was versus what was portrayed to be the business plan and the execution of that business plan. Mm. Okay. Well, let's shake that off and let's move on to some fun stuff for you. 
64 unit was your first syndicated deal and was your most recent that 400 plus unit in Atlanta? Yes, it was. And okay. then we had one right before that, a 255 unit in North Dallas. All right. So 64, 255, 400. There's a lot of ways I can go with this. Let's do this. From a due diligence standpoint with your 64 unit to your 400 plus, what have you improved on as an operator? When we go through due diligence. So a couple of things, I guess. One is improved upon this because we did it on our first one too, but always hire someone that does this professionally for, at least from a physical asset perspective, hire someone that does it for a living. Make sure they give you quotes. So we've had due diligence done before where they give you a 500-page document and there are no quotes associated with any of the rehab requirements, which is kind of a bad thing, right? You want to know what's going to cost to actually fix things. We also learned on, we didn't have this originally, but language in the contract around city inspections and who has to pay for that, that saved us literally about $200,000 on our deal in Dallas area where our contract called for a seller has to pay for any open city violations, and that one had several hundred city violations. So it sounds bad, but actually worked out good for us because it all got fixed. You said over 200,000, right? They had like 700 city violations on a 250-some unit. Wow. And what was the dollar amount, roughly? I'm just purely guessing about 200,000. Okay. That, that was something the seller had to pay. Yeah. So we have verbiage in our contract for that. We also have verbiage about walking vacant units before closing. We got caught on that before where there were only one vacancy, and lo and behold, the day we closed, there are now five vacancies, <laughs> you know, one of those things. Yep. So the physical asset piece is pretty easy. You hire people to do that. It's more the making sure the numbers are what they are and just say don't skimp and don't hire someone that doesn't do this on a daily basis to do your due diligence. And we've learned a lot about the contract, assuming contracts are not assuming them, and contracts for laundry contracts a lot of people have issues with and things of that nature as well. Mm -hmm. As far as the violations go that the seller had to pay for, you said there were around 700 violations. When did that come up? Are you able to identify those violations prior to going under contract? Or if not, then how did you for us, Fortunately for us, we were. We had an early access agreement, which allowed us to get in the property while the contract was being worked with the attorney. So we were in there and we were delayed a few days by that because of the city inspection. So we had an idea that the city inspections were going on during that time. But even just going to the city, you can see some of those attributes too, but we're kind of firsthand here. We actually had the report sent to us from the seller and also had conversation with the city and they weren't willing to share that much quite frankly, the city, because we weren't the current owners, but at least we get an idea of what the reputation of that property with the existing property owner. Mm, okay. That was the evolution or things you've improved on or make sure you included throughout the three deals on due diligence. What about your investor structure, how you structure the limited partnership, your passive investors, and the general partnership, you and your team? This is something we've changed a fair bit more recently. We kind of stuck with kind of a typical, been doing like an 80-20 split, or 85-25 split, where 75-80% you know, goes to the investors. We haven't been doing prep returns that much, so preferred return, meaning just that the investor gets the return before the sponsor or lead gets their return. So the last couple of deals we've looked at, we've actually looked at each deal individually and uniquely, and now we're structuring each deal differently. 
Some may have a prep return, some may not. Some may have a percentage we have to hit over a five-year period, and we don't get any returns as sponsors or not. So we've kind of done a lot more recently on deals. But prior to that, we were pretty much standard, some sort of split, but really weren't doing prep returns that much at all. And what are a couple variables that would push a project to have a prep return versus no prep? The cash flow, we should have confidence in our business plan, but if the cash flow is super strong in this deal, we have another deal in Atlanta that we are our contract with and the cash flow is just killer on it. So we feel very comfortable paying a, we're paying a 10% prep return on that, which is pretty high, but we feel comfortable doing that. And then we have a split after that. So I think it depends on the deal is a value play, meaning you're going to come in and increase the rents and put rehab dollars and how far into the future do you push that? If it's a real big value add deal and it's going to take you a year to kind of get it rehabbed and you have an 8, 10% prep return, but you pay zero in year one, well, that means in year two, you're going to pay potentially 16 to 20%, right? Mm-hmm. So if there's not the cash flow, then the prep return becomes harder. We do have a value add deal on the one in, in Atlanta. It's a little bit unique deal. Our partner already owns it. It's a little bit different situation, but the rehab's already ongoing and will be done in four months. So that makes us more comfortable paying that prep return. But if there's not cash flow and you have to make up that prep return, it can be hard because you have to be able to accrue all that as you go. And things happen. Perfect example, that property had seven month delay on the rehab because it crossed two city lines and the cities were fighting back and forth which units each of them owned. So if you have a business plan in place and you have to wait seven months to rehab something you plan on doing virtually day one, that's going to have an impact on your business model for sure. Mm. How did that get resolved? The cities had to resolve it. I know my partner there, Paul, he was hounding them nonstop on things, but it still took months and months to resolve. But he had to go to several of the meetings and the council meetings and things like that. So I think by him hounding helped, but ultimately it came down to two cities fighting over which ones they thought of the units each one would own. Let's talk about the approach that you take with the on-the-ground management because you're in Allen, Texas, but this property is in Atlanta, the largest deal. You said you have, I believe you said your business partner owned it already. One, how did you buy it? And then two, how are you doing the management? Right. So we have a current deal that he owns, but the one we closed on in January, the 454 unit deal, that was an off-market deal. He's been there, Paul, our partner's been there in Atlanta for a long time and has been doing multifamily for 28 years. And so it happens he has his own third-party management company, and that's what he's been on for 28 years. I don't have any desire to have my own third-party management company or work day-to-day and operations. I'll asset manage, meaning I'll oversee the investment and making sure that Paul's doing what he should do. But he kind of already had these relationships with the brokers, and that's kind of where we kind of ran into issues when we looked for properties in Atlanta. We didn't have any boots on the ground initially. And we were having a hard time getting traction. But as soon as we hooked up with Paul there, that kind of opened the floodgates. And it was kind of a perfect marriage because he doesn't really raise money, but he actually has a lot of deals. Well, we raise money and he likes the third-party management and we don't do that. So it's a good relationship. But that was one through a broker relationship that he had worked and he had bought other properties from him in the past. And that's how we got that deal. On your first deal, the 64-unit deal, how much money did you raise? About a million. 
And how'd you come across those investors? Meetups. We've been involved in different groups. And then I have an IT background, did IT for about 20 years. I've just met a lot of people that have money and looking for places to put it. I would say raising money is not as easy as people think it is just starting out. But once you kind of get in the groove and you get a track record, it becomes a lot easier. We raised about 6.2 on this last one that we closed on in January. It's kind of obvious, but it's not to people getting your brand out there and building your network. Your brand meaning, you know, we bought properties for a number of years, but it wasn't until about six months ago that we even started the company Think Multifamily and using social media and things like that. Things I kind of ignored, quite frankly. I thought some of it was a little silly, actually, but it's not. <laughs> it works. People use it. And fortunately for me, my wife, Tammy or Tamil, is all into the marketing aspects of it and things like that. So whether you're a passive investor or a lead investor, you still have to have visibility in front of people. You're a passive investor and nobody knows who you are or you're not attending meetups or events. Nobody's going to send you deals. And if you're a lead on a different deal, you need to have passive investors. So we go to different events. We go to meetups. We hold two meetups ourselves as well. And we started one in Atlanta that we're going to be kicking off here in the next month or so as well. But getting yourself visible and being active in social media is probably the two main things that are going to get your visibility with investors. What is your best real estate investing advice ever? I would say partner with people you trust. It sounds cliche, but partner with people you trust and have the same values as you. Don't chase money. I don't care if the deal looks fantastic. If you don't trust a person or something in your gut tells you something doesn't seem right about them or the deal, and don't do it. Be patient. Find the right partners and find the right deal. You'll get frustrated. Probably I get frustrated on a daily basis because I want to go faster and faster. But be patient. You see people overbidding a lot on deals right now. You've probably seen as well. And just making sure you're having a relationship with people that are going to be conservative. They will be conservative on the underwriting and that you trust their values and their integrity and character. And while everybody says that, end of the day, it's not as common, unfortunately, as it should be having integrity and character. You ready for the best ever lightning round? Yes, sir. All right, let's do it. First, a quick word from our best ever partners. Got your free strategy session to generate online leads yet? Well, if not, go to adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Dan Barrett's going to give you a concrete online advertising strategy by the end of the conversation. You can choose to implement it yourself or you can work with this team and they'll implement it for you. Adwordsnerds.com forward slash Joe. Are you ready to grow and protect your wealth in any market? Join Cashflow Tactics to learn the exact strategies real estate investors can use to maximize returns using whole life insurance as a new banking resource. Visit CashflowTactics.com. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-T-A-C-T-I-S.com. Best ever book you've read? Rich Dad, Poor Dad, probably, for me, even though a lot of people would say that. That literally opened my eyes. I've always had a entrepreneur background. It wasn't modeled for me at all, but it's always did. And it helped me realize that in order for me to run a business, I don't want to be the only person that can run the business. It needs to survive and sustain with me not being there. And that's kind of been eye-opening for me. Best ever deal you've done? The one we closed on September 2016 in North Dallas. We already raised rents twice. We're already past our year two projections. It's only been since September. And that one, I think, is going to really be our best deal ever. 
What's the best ever way you like to give back? We help educate people. We actually do some events in there as well and starting to do more of that. And anything we know, we'll share. We don't hold anything back. We don't have any hidden agendas. And then we, outside of real estate, we have a big passion for orphanages. My wife and I both support an orphanage. She's been to Africa a couple of times and was on a board. And we also have a big passion and support people of sex traffic industry. If you can think about a mistake you've made on a deal, what mistake comes to mind? The one we kind of alluded to earlier, and it's really looking at the deal before the operator, maybe trusting the operator a little too much and not having an operator on the hotel example, that really was experience. And looking back on it, I would not invest in it. And the reason being was that they didn't have anyone else that had skin in the game with them. They had a so-called mentor that later we found out really was not a mentor. Unfortunately, he has a lot of litigation against him. But anyways, having somebody that's side-by-side with the operator and the lead that's done it before, has been there, and can help them would probably be the biggest thing. And, and look for that first and foremost, and then look at the deal and see how it looks. Where can the best ever listeners get in touch with you, Mark? My email is mark, M-A-R-K, at thinkmultifamily, T-H. I-N-K-M-U-L-T-I family.com. The website is thinkmultifamily.com and that's a good way to get a hold of us. Lessons learned that we can apply if we're passive investors as well as active investors from passively speaking where we should look at the operator and then the deal and a little bit more granular than that, make sure that there is alignment of interests as well as an experience level And then also from an active investor, someone putting the deal together as far as raising money goes, meetups, you hold a couple meetups, you're starting another meetup, your professional background, so people who are already within your sphere of influence, as well as constant visibility. Although you said, which is interesting, I hadn't thought of this before, that also applies to passive investors, that constant visibility, so that you can get access to more deals. And then the due diligence evolution or things that you have continued to do over time, like walking vacant units right before closing, having the seller pay for any open city violation saved you about $200,000, and getting quotes for rehab requirements in addition to the inspection report. So thanks so much for being on the show. Hope you have a best ever day, Mark, and we'll talk to you soon. You too, Joe. Appreciate it. Thank you. Are you ready to grow and protect your wealth in any market? Join Cashflow Tactics to learn the exact strategies real estate investors can use to maximize returns using whole life insurance as a new banking resource. Visit CashflowTactics.com. That's C-A-S-H-F-L-O-W-T-A-C-T-I-S.com.